everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> so today, Dave, this is one of the topics I get asked about possibly more than anything else. And it's one that we've not really talked about in much detail before because it's it's one that I would say there's kind of a lot to it. Like it's it's one where people kind of want a quick, you know, easy answer, easy solution. You know, what's one supplement I can take to fix this or food I can stop eating or start eating to fix it. And unfortunately, I find this is one of those topics or one of these those issues where it's not as simple as here's, you know, one supplement you can take and all your symptoms are going to be gone. Um, and unfortunately, it is, you know, you, you tend to have to look a lot deeper than people might expect initially on the surface. And so what we're going to be talking about is, is sinus issues, sinusitis, um, sinus infections, nasal infections, nasal inflammation, all this wrapped up together. And it's not just a histamine issue. Yeah, people seem to think it's just, you know, I've got an allergy, I've got, a, I've got hay fever, all I need to do is take an antihistamine and I'll be fine. Or take a take diamine oxidase or, or fish oil and I'll be fine. And some of these things can help. And we'll talk about some things that you can use to actually help relieve some of those symptoms initially. But to actually resolve this is a, a little bit more to it, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, this might've been a while ago, but like I remember looking at some stats in terms of how prevalent like sinus related mm. issues are. And so, yes, you know, we are talking about like your sinus infection, sinusitis, but also uh, we're probably going to talk about CRS. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about there, that's chronic rhinositis because there is obviously a lot of research around that, you know, that particular issue uh, being linked to excessive biofilm buildup, which we obviously have talked about before. And there is actually many studies that you could actually, uh, I can't think of all of them just to hand, okay? but there are many studies that are actually directly linked towards excessive biofilm buildup. So now we're talking about like bacteria and something like CRS, okay? But it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more prevalent than probably people perceive. It was actually you yeah. that said that you get a lot of people asking you about this. And I think, you know, I think the, the stat that I read about in America, this might be a bit of an old stat, but I'm going to quote it anyway, where they say that, you know, something like 35 million, this is American, so I'm not talking about like worldwide, would actually be complaining about some sort of like sinus infection or sinusitis mm. per year. It's pretty, pretty, pretty high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What they say, something like fifth most diagnosed medical condition. So once again, that's probably a lot mm. more mm. of an issue than we actually perceive it to be. Mm. And we know that generally the go-to in this instance is going to be antibiotics. Yeah. And so we did a whole podcast on this. So if you haven't listened to it, I'd go back where we talk about antibiotic resistant bacterial infections. And one of the biggest problems that we are facing is antibiotic resistance. And that's total like misuse and overuse. And maybe something like, you know, sinus infections could be another good example of that because some of these bacteria strains that we might be dealing with that are actually causing a lot of the, this excessive biofilm buildup. And that can become a bit of a problem within the, the mm. nasal cavity and within the sinus regions. Well, a lot of them can be antibiotic resistant because actually there is a link to uh, Staphylococcus aureus. And so 
This is uh, methyl-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which is multi-drug resistant Staphylococcus aureus. So that's one of the most antibiotic-resistant bacterial strains, and there can actually be a link here within the nasal cavity and uh, within the sinus regions. Yeah, okay. And obviously, you know, I've talked about this before. There's definitely a link with things like MRSA, Staphylococcus aureus, and like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial yeah. overgrowth. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, you know, it was obviously a good topic that you brought up because I think, you know, just looking at those stats, it's just a lot more prevalent than we think yeah. it is. And maybe, you know, the techniques that we're actually using to try and combat this maybe could be a little bit too direct sometimes. I don't know what you feel about that, but we, you know, we've chatted about things like nasal irrigation where, you know, they sort of focus on the, on the nasal area directly. Okay. But uh, a lot of the time, like if you've got the issues in areas like the gastrointestinal tract, the bronchial area, so I'm talking about the respiratory tract. Well, if you're not fixing those areas, I mean, it's going to be very hard for you to fix what's going on in the nasal yeah. cavity and within the sinus region as well. So really is the, is the nasal irrigation, whatever mechanism, and maybe we're going to talk about that, whatever you know techniques that you're going to use to try to rectify that, maybe it's just going to give you some relief for a period of time, but then ultimately the sinus infection and the sinus issues are going to start to pop up again. I, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Yeah. So conventionally, I mean, you touched on it anyway. So conventionally people are going to use antibiotics. That's probably the most common, you know, usually something like antihistamines or they might use, what else are people normally going to reach for? Look, I'd probably lean more towards antibiotics. Yeah, okay. I think mm. if you actually looked up a lot of literature in terms of what is going to get used for sinus infections and, chronic rhinositis. I mean, most of the time I think it would come up with antibiotics. Yeah. I, mean, I guess corticosteroids people probably use a bit as well. Potentially, but I, I just think antibiotics is going to be the go-to here. And once mm. again, we're just dealing with this, this huge problem around antibiotic resistant bacterial infections, yeah. which that, that problem is getting greater and greater. And that's real. a lot of that. Uh, once again, we do cover a lot more in that particular podcast is really coming down to excessive biofilm buildup. Well, I mean, look, that's important to note because if, if these are the things people are using conventionally, I mean, look, we could argue about how effective or ineffective they are, but it means if the first port of call is antibiotics, that means we know we're actually acknowledging within a conventional medicine system that actually bacteria is part of this. You know, this is, this is ultimately what's causing the issue. And then we would disagree with how effective it is because we would say the biofilm is actually a big factor here. And, and obviously antibiotics are not addressing that and then it's going to lead to other issues like we've talked about in the podcast but at the very least if we look at what's being used conventionally we can deduce okay well this is what the, the issue is this is what the you know if we pair it back there's a bacterial issue going on here which is causing these symptoms yeah like yeah definitely and and, and the thing is and, and like we've sort of spoken about this before where excessive biofilm buildup has been linked to some pretty serious illnesses yeah. and they do include things like IBD conditions, like Crohn's yep. disease, ulcerative colitis, Lyme disease. There's a link there as well. Lupus, strep throat. And the other one is rhinocytositis, which is relevant to what we're talking about here. Mm. Okay. And so just so people understand, like you can definitely get excessive biofilm buildup within the nasal cavity and, and, you know, within the sinus, regions and just so people understand like what we're sort of talking about here and maybe just even like some symptoms that you would be experiencing yeah. if you did have like sinus issues and sinusitis and so forth i mean like you could get potentially once again and it doesn't mean you have to have this particular symptom but you could definitely get like post nasal drip yep. okay that can actually be a symptom now i would say a pretty common one is a lot of people get you know pretty bad pressure and pain yeah. within areas like you know 
within the face and obviously, you know, within the eyes. Okay. And we, we often talk about this where people get like this dull sinus pain behind the eyes. So it just feels like that pressure. I mean, is there any major symptoms that you would say that a lot of people would be complaining of? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I get the pressure one a lot, you know, people always saying, you know, it feels like, you know, the head's in a vice kind of thing. And like you said, up, you know, through the, the nose and up behind the eyes, obviously like, you know, blocked nasal passage, you know, that's going to be generally part of the post-nasal drip you talked about, just that, that general congestion and, you know, I guess like a discharge, I guess, coming from your nose, things like that. And they said, I'm pretty sure they say that discharge. I mean, I've never experienced it with clients myself, but I'm pretty sure they say that discharge when it does get pretty bad can be pretty like smelly as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I've heard that too. Yeah. I've not, I've not uh, but, but I, like I haven't, I haven't come across it with any clients. Okay. But I, I have read that where they say the discharge can yeah. be pretty smell. Obviously it's got to a pretty, pretty bad point when it's yeah. like that, but yeah, just so people understand what's happening here is that, I mean, in the most basic terms, because there can be some technicalities here, okay, is that what's happening is that you're you're getting like inflammation and you're getting a swelling within the tissue, yeah. within the lining where your sinuses are. And so if you don't know where your sinuses are, once again, just dumb this down, you've got like these hollow sort of spaces and air just passes mm, through that, mm. okay? Now, we need to understand, when we talk about the nasal cavity, we are talking about, because I think a lot of the, a lot of time people just don't realize how important the nasal cavity is when it comes to your innate immune response. Mm. So what I'm talking about here is like initial responder. And a lot of time when you're interacting with viruses, it's actually the like NOLT, which is nasal associated lymphoid tissue. That is actually almost like first line of defense for the respiratory tract. Mm. And even when we talk about certain respiratory viruses, a lot of the time they will use things like nasal irrigation and so forth to once again, to stop the spread of Mm. that particular virus. So this is a big player in like recognition of antigens. And for people who who don't know what I'm talking about with antigens, I'm just talking about like, you know, foreign microorganisms, foreign material. Once again, we're talking about first line of defense. So that NOLT is, is, is huge when it comes to this. Um, and, and that, that, that's part of a sort of a, a bigger player in immunity. And that is, I'm, I'm going to use a lot of abbreviations here. Uh, and that is MALT, which is mucosa associated lymphoid tissue. Within that, we've got GALT, which we have spoken about. And that is gut associated lymphoid tissue. And then we've got BOLT, and that is bronchial associated lymphoid tissue. And that's, so obviously got gut, we've got lungs, and we've got nasal, okay? And this is a big part of immune response. And they play a big role in yes innate immune response but also especially within the gut lining your secondary line of defense okay so your acquired immune system so i think it's just important for people to understand that we're, we're talking about immune activation here yeah yeah and so of course we have like bacteria within the nasal cavity as well um, and so what can happen is a lot of the time things like yeast and candida like so fungi they are part of the commensal bacteria. So what I mean by that, they are meant to be there within the nasal cavity and within that region. And obviously you do have, you know, certain types of uh, bacteria as well. There's like, you know, staphylococcus species, epidermidis, I think they call it, diatheromoids, don't fully quote me on that. And then, you know, staphylococcus aureus, okay. These are, you know, some of the bacteria strains that actually do reside in the, in the sort of like nasal cavity region. So we do have bacteria there. And then also even like viruses. So once again, like a lot of the viruses that we're getting exposed to, Mm. you know, the nasal cavity and the sinus region, you know, big player in that. And then what can happen is you can get like a, 
I guess, like a accumulation of the bacteria and the fungi. And then you get this swelling, okay? You get this inflammation. And then that's what creates the, the aggravation. So the symptoms that people are experiencing, so it can be, so you said you kind of got these, the sinuses like sort of below your eyes, above your eyes, up through your nose. So, so basically these, these passageways, they're getting this buildup of this overgrowth of organisms, bacteria, yeast, mold, all these kind of things are playing together. That is causing like physical blockages, physical buildups. We've got biofilm there. Then we can get inflammation in those tissues, kind of like swelling in the tissue there. We can get like excess mucus, excess immune kind of cells in that area. And, and that kind of combination of all of those things in some manner contributing and causing these symptoms people are experiencing, yeah? Yeah, well, like, you know, we definitely know that one of the most common, uh, I couldn't give a percentage on it, but we definitely know one of the most common reasons behind like sinus infections is actually going to be bacterial. Yeah. So I've talked about some of the ones that colonize there, but the ones that are probably a little bit more linked to sinus infections would be things like streptococcus strains. I think it's like streptococcus pneumonia or pneumonia, obviously, you know, with certain types of respiratory viruses, there's a huge link here. And the other one is haemophilus. And that's been, you know, haemophilus influenza. So that's obviously linked to certain types of infections, especially when you're exposed to respiratory viruses and so forth. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the ones that have definitely been linked to like sinus infections. And what's obviously happening is that you're getting a buildup of these types of bacteria strains, but also with that, because now we're dealing with like, you know, bacterial byproducts and all these types of things that is going to create that because you're also getting a raise in like, you know, pro-inflammatory proteins, you know, cytokines, interleukins, you know, TNF alpha, all these types of things. And that's going to cause a lot of this inflammation, this swelling, this aggravation. And then if you're not really, never really doing anything to realign like these bacterial issues, then a lot of time, this is where you can start to get the excessive biofilm buildup within the nasal cavity and within the sinus mm. region. Okay. Mm. And then that was, that's definitely going to cause a lot of that constriction. Hence why you get the, the rhinosinusitis, which is a, you know, huge problem, but mainly because you're getting like a, a buildup of the biofilm and, and, mm. and obviously the opportunistic bacteria as well. So based on, on that, based on all those things playing together and causing those symptoms, that is why this is a topic I don't really like talking about because people kind of expect that, well, I've just got a blocked nose, I've got blocked sinuses, and it's a matter of washing it out. Or it's a matter of taking something to just reduce the inflammation. And ultimately, it's it's not that simple because we're talking about colonization. We're talking about full-blown bacterial imbalances, most likely bacterial, but this you know biofilm, which could have all these different organisms playing together. And so ultimately, what are we saying is a way to deal with this? We're saying that, yes, you can do some things in the short term to reduce some of that inflammation. And, you know, we've talked about inflamed tissue is going to be part of that, but ultimately we need to actually address the biofilm and the bacterial imbalance, don't we? Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing would be is like, so yes, we can look directly at that area. So once again, that's going to come down to that sort of like nasal irrigation and, you know, some people, like I've, I've read some stuff where people might use something like Johnson baby shampoo. Okay. With some of the compounds in there, like antibiotic activity might actually help with like sort of mucosa hypersecretion where you're getting like, you're producing more mucus within that region and even actually help with some biofilm disrupting aspects. I mean, I, I, I've never used it. I'm, I'm sure you've never used it, but then even there's the whole thing of like xylitol. I mean, that's a mm. sort of alcohol sort of based sugar and that just helps with like lubrication. But I know for me, it just feels like you're just addressing 
where the the, the major symptom is coming yeah. from. And what I would argue is like, okay, so we might realign what's going on here. So I'm not disputing that the nasal irrigation might help with the with the yeah. sinus infection, the, the sinusitis and all that type of stuff. But then if you've really got the issues within the gastrointestinal tract and the lungs, well, it's only a matter of time yeah. until you're going to start to get the bacterial issues and the excessive biofilm build up within the nasal cavity again. Yeah. So I just can't see, once again, like, you know, I haven't looked at directly a lot of the research papers that show this link, but I just can't see because obviously the gut lining being like the mothership, I just can't see how that you could not address what's going on within the gastrointestinal tract. And obviously whatever we do in the gastrointestinal tract has a direct transference into the respiratory tract. Okay. So if we improve that, we improve the respiratory tract, but also I would say that we just improve like malt in general. So the mucosa associated lymphoid tissue, and that does include the nasal associated lymphoid tissue in that as well. So I would think like you've got to go to the mothership once again, because it might be short lived in terms of the relief that you're going to get around the, the sinus infection and the sinus pain and the sinus issues that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, one example of why there's been, I've seen at least one or, or two studies, I think at least one study I've seen in, in humans where they've used probiotics and probiotics have been effective at actually reducing upper respiratory symptoms and, and um, like sinus symptoms. And this is oral probiotics. And so, you know, why would an oral probiotic affect our nasal region if it wasn't because some, you know, mechanism is happening from my gut microbiome, which is then affecting that. I mean, obviously probiotics, you know, they, it's not so much about colonization. Yes, it can help potentially with colonization, but there's a whole lot of other factors, even potentially biofilm disrupting factors when it comes to some probiotics. So, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that if we did zero in, and this isn't just with sinuses, like you see this with skin and you see with kind of anything external where a lot of the time the treatment protocol is focused on just that particular area. And, you know, either it's short lived or it takes, you know, ages to balance it or, or whatever. And it's like, well, ultimately, yes, it's helpful to still address that, that localized area, but unless we're not, we're doing that in combination with also addressing the microbiome and the gut, how far are we going to get? Like it's, it's not going to lead to the full resolution we're actually seeking. For sure. I mean, you definitely see some links here because, you know, obviously we speak about like LPS, so lipopolysaccharides. We speak about like negative gram bacteria overgrowth. And once again, we're not having a go. I've always got to reiterate this point. We're not having a go at negative gram bacteria. Okay, Most negative gram bacteria is required. It's good. But even the pathogenic strains do serve a purpose. Um, but obviously when you've got that negative gram bacteria overgrowth, what we would say, especially with certain types of strains, and I would say like the major broad groups. So while I am talking about the negative gram bacteria strains that are a little bit more like pathogenic in nature. And some of those major boil groups would be things like Klebsiella, uh, Citrobacter, Pseudomonas, Enterobacter. It's almost like the big four. Okay. But we have seen when people do have excessive amounts of LPS. So yes, it can have that negative impacts on, on the brain, which it does because obviously it damages the blood brain barrier outside of the blood brain barrier. It affects the prefrontal cortex. It affects the hippocampus, but it, I definitely with certain types of negative gram bacteria, strange you can see this a little bit more in like klebsiella maybe even citrobacter to a certain extent and pseudomonas where 
the, the, the person actually gets, you know, a little bit more like blocked ears. Okay? Yeah. They get that sinus pain behind the eyes, uh, a little bit more congested in the nose. Okay. There's sinus pain there. Okay. And I think I was mentioning to you that when they have actually looked at things like chronic rhinosinusitis, which is the CRS, Yes, there's, there's all these other types of bacteria, but they did actually notice that Pseudomonas uh, aeruginosa, that is a negative gram bacteria. And so for people who've never heard of this negative gram bacteria, I mean, with Pseudomonas, there's like 191 different strains. There's a lot. But Pseudomonas aeruginosa has actually been linked to certain type of LPS. So it's called hexa-acylated uh, okay, or hexa-acylation. Okay? Uh, and that actually creates uh, a lot more like inflammation and especially, you know, if we're talking about within the gastrointestinal tract, this would definitely create a, a lot more hyperpermeability and loosening and widening of the intracellular type junctions. So this actually can mm. be one of the bacteria strains that has actually been linked to something like CRS or chronic rhinosinusitis. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's, there's definitely other strains within that as well. Okay. I think like Staphylococcus aureus comes up again. Haemophilus sort of comes up again. Uh, Cornobacterium is another one. So there's other bacteria strains, but once again, when, when we are, when we do have actually the negative gram bacteria overgrowth, you definitely get a raise in like pro-inflammatory proteins. Mm. There is definitely a raise in things like TNF alpha, interleukin one, interleukin six. And I'm not saying these, these proteins are the devil, okay? but you are getting a raise in these pro-inflammatory proteins. If you're getting a raise in those pro-inflammatory proteins, it's definitely going to cause more inflammation yeah. and swelling. And you could see how you could get the aggravation in the, in that, in the tissue and the lining of the sinuses for sure. Okay. So, so once again, you know, I'm saying that you could definitely see how there's a link here. So if we've got that negative gram bacteria overgrowth within the gastrointestinal tract. You can get obviously issues within the lungs here as well. How are we really going to fix what's going on in an area like the nasal cavity? If we're, if we're not going to fix what's going on in the gut line. Okay. Yeah. Once again, it's just going to come down to, you're going to use mechanisms. They're going to help. They're going to alleviate the, the, the pain, the discomfort that you've got, but I would just argue like long-term, are you really fixing the sinus issues for good? So let's, let's do this. We haven't talked about this, so this will be fun. So let's run through like a, a, a sample, you know, you get a client through the door. This is the number one issue, number one concern. What do we do? Right. So initially we're probably going to do something to help with some of these symptoms, right? Like we don't, we, that's, that is important. Symptom management is still important. So what kind of things would we use initially? Like I know I'd, I'd be looking for something like a cod liver oil, a vitamin C, a magnesium, probably a quercetin. Is, is that where you'd be reaching as well? Yeah, well, I, like, I'm sure you're the same, but let me know if, if, if you would approach it in a different way. But I'm not probably going to look at the nasal irrigation. Okay? Now, look, yeah. not in saying that, if it is really bad, you, I'm not taking away from you. You need to give them some relief. Yeah. Now, whether I'm, I'm probably not going to reach out for Johnson baby shampoo, though, yeah. okay? Uh, and I'm not going to use out, you know, sort of use the xylitol, like the, the spray. But there are certain types of sprays that I would think that are definitely going to give you some decent relief. And that could be even something like an NAC, so an N-acetylcysteine spray. It's a mucolytic agent. It's a biofilm disruptor. So now you're spraying it directly up the, the nasal cavity. And so that... It's definitely going to give you some relief and actually might go a long way in really alleviating that problem. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've definitely used NAC throat sprays and that's something I've, I've recommended to a lot of people. Okay. But you can, you can actually get NAC nasal sprays as well. You know, and the I, benefit of that, I mean, we should mention obviously it's a mucolytic, so it's going to help with the biofilm. Um, yes. Yeah. Because oxygen. once again, like, like I'm probably going to look at, we really want to break down that biofilm. 
And so the other thing that I would be looking at is some sort of like biofilm, like direct biofilm agent. Okay. So obviously NAC is a biofilm agent. Yeah. Okay. It is a mucolytic agent. Okay. But I would actually use something like, you know, like an interface plus or a biofilm defense. I mean, once again, you could look, you could look at things like natokinase and lumbrokinase. I, I would argue whether they're going to be powerful enough. That, I believe that I saw be- a study actually on, on proteolytics, uh, even in, I think it was pancreatic enzymes. Those, it was like one, it was just like a real basic study, but like first phase, but they found that they were, they seemed to be benefit when it came to, yeah. to allergies. Yeah I, can, and I, to, yeah, I can definitely see that. The one thing I'd say with some of those uh, direct biofilm agents, they've got, obviously got the EDTA, okay? Mm-hmm. And the benefits there with the EDTA, I mean, it's a, a chelator, okay? That's um, in Interface Plus, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the benefit there is what, so like being a binder, okay, it is going to, pull in minerals okay now a lot of people are going to go well, is that a good thing well in the instance where we got excessive biofilm mm. just to understand so that's a polysaccharide matrix okay and mm-hmm. we have obviously spoken about this before but it, you've got pro-inflammatory proteins like gal3 but you've actually got it's made up of minerals as well so it's made up of like magnesium and calcium and iron and that stops the structure of that that biofilm being like too strong mm. okay so I, my personally, you know, in, in terms of using something like EDTA, obviously using the, the proteolytic enzymes, like I just want to make it clear, okay, because some people might be using that maybe when they're consuming food. It's very important if you want to get the benefit of that, that you're not consuming it with food, okay? Because the enzymes, the enzymes, you mean enzymes the actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, the enzymes, okay? Because then they're going to work at helping you to break down the food, okay? Yeah. And they're not really going to work effectively, to actually help to break down that excessive biofilm. Okay. It's really, really important because yeah. a lot of people might think that's not a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. So you want to make sure that you're using it at the timing where it's actually going to be most effective to actually help to break down that biofilm. Yeah. Another option would be like a, um, a clodal silver irrigation as well. Yeah. Because once again, like, you know, it can be linked to excessive, like, you know, fungi or yeast and candida, even from yeah, a biofilm mention- perspective, though, with the uh, with the silver, yeah, but like, but there there is there's definitely a link. Even though they say it's commensal, so that they're saying mm-hmm. that the, obviously that the candida and the yeast is meant to be there in microscopic amounts. But and and you did mention this to me, like like you can definitely have like an excessive buildup there. So if you've got like candida and yeast overgrowth within the colon, the large intestine, or something like CFOs, that's obviously candida overgrowth in the small intestine. I mean, there is a high probability that you're going to have the yeast and the candida build up within mm. the sinus regions as well. And so 100% agree with you on that. So something like a, you know, like a nasal, you know, colloidal silver, like spraying that up there, uh, it's definitely going to help to, you know, prevent the cellular replication. So the proliferation of the yeast and the candida mm. within that region. And also like the biofilm disrupting properties, as you've already mentioned. The other one that I think would give you some, some pretty big relief as well is like grapefruit seed extract. Mm. Okay. Now really important. I have actually had some clients who've done this where if you are taking it orally, okay, it has to be diluted in water. Okay. I mean, <laughs> they, that is nature's anti antibiotic. It's super powerful. It works against about 700 to 800 different strains of bacteria. If you just squeeze it into the mouth, it is just going to wipe out the microbiome within your mouth. So it's really important. Like, so, and, and I don't want you to spray the actual, you know, the liquid grapefruit seed extract directly <laughs> up your nose. Okay. So you actually, you actually need like a, a direct grapefruit seed extract nasal spray. I know you've mentioned to me that you, you have seen those before. Okay. 
But, you know, some of the, uh, I think it might be uh, narogenin, one of the compounds in there, that, that can actually have some real benefits around like, you know, like sinus infections and sinus pain and so forth. Quality does matter with grapefruit seed extract. Okay, there's certain things like triclosan and these things that can really affect the quality. Now, once again, I do think the research on grapefruit seed extract is really good. But if you get a poor quality grapefruit seed extract, that would be a different story. I, I, because grapefruit seed extract is so good against like negative gram bacteria, so good against so many different mm. pathogenic strains of bacteria, it's definitely going to give you some relief from that perspective. But once mm. again, you're still going to have to go to the mothership and you're still going to have to, to fix the area where, the, where I truly believe the major microbiome imbalances and the, and the real disruption, even to the tissue, because you can have damage to the tissue in here. Well, so before we get to tissue, because we do need to talk about that. So before we get there, so someone walks in, we're going to use some form of biofilm agent, whether that's nebulized NAC or glutathione or oral NAC or proteolytic enzymes, interphase plus, even, you know, silver has got some biofilm properties. So we're going to use, you know, a combination of a couple of those things, the proteolytics, you know, some of these things is multiple benefits, you know, they're going to help with, breaking down inflammatory proteins as well. So it's going to help with symptom management. Um, we're going to use, I still think like, you know, I'm still going to use things like a magnesium, a cod liver oil, a quercetin, stuff that's just trying to, again, reduce some of that inflammation, reduce, you know, even histamine, uh, quercetin would be beneficial there. So that's sort of like our, our step one, using your GSE or using something that's got antimicrobial properties there as well. So that's kind of like, and, you know, maybe we'll do an irrigation, but probably not. Yeah. So that's where we're, we're going to start with and try to control symptoms that way. And then you're saying there's two more things we need to look at. One is we still need to look at the gut. And so we need to do basically what we've just done there. We need to do that with the gut. We need biofilm agents. We need antimicrobials. We need... I mean, I guess they're the two big ones, but, you know, some form of support agents in there, detox support, NAC, glutathione, B vitamins, whatever. Um, so we're still going to be doing that. And that's going to be a little bit more dependent on if we've got a suspicion as to what that overgrowth is. So this is where we'll use symptoms. You know, do they have symptoms of more yeast type symptoms or parasite symptoms or bacterial symptoms or is a blood work suggesting, you know, one or the other? And then you've mentioned tissue, right? So now we've done all of that, but we still need to do structural support, don't we? Yeah, I mean, look, the one the one thing like I, I know I mentioned galt a lot. Okay, so mm. gut associated lymphoid tissue. We are talking about one of the layers of the gut lining. It is the mucosa. Within the mucosa, you've got lamina propria and you have gut associated lymphoid tissue. The only reason I mention it all the time is this is where 70% of your entire immune system is located. Mm. Okay. So we are talking about like B cells, T cells, M cells, okay. And we are talking about, you know, even like uh, immunoglobulins. Yep. It's probably something we need to talk about as well yeah. because, you know, when, we, when I was talking about NOLT, nasal associated lymphoid tissue, what's really important here is secretory IgA. IgA is super important. And that's why when, you, when you're having that immune response, you would produce more of these immunoglobins, especially mm -hmm. like secretory IgA because that's the most abundant immunoglobin within mucosal surface areas, okay? Mm. So those mucosal surface areas are going to be areas like your lungs, obviously your gastrointestinal tract, you know, within the eyes, okay? Obviously within like, you know, saliva, you've got secretory IgA and there's would be high amounts within the nasal cavity, okay? Because once again, we're talking about a big player in immunology and your innate immune response and your initial responder. Antibodies are really important for that. So within gut-associated lymphoid tissue, these immunoglobins like IgM, IgE, IgG, and IgA is super important for that first line of defense. Now, 
that's just tissue. It's made up of type one collagen. It's just connective tissue. You can compromise that connective tissue. We know that, especially when the damage has got deeper and deeper. So if we can damage the tissue within the gastrointestinal tract, it is not, despite what people like to think, it is not some sort of indestructible object. Mm. It's tissue. Okay. Saying you can't damage the gut lining is like you saying you can't damage tendons and ligaments. Okay, like I, I know it has the ability to replenish and rejuvenate itself, but so does cartilage and so does tendons and so mm. does bone and so does muscles. Mm. Okay, but they also can get damaged. Uh, and so many things need to be right to allow you to replenish and rejuvenate the other epithelium. It's dependent on the structure of certain other types of epithelium, but if they're damaged, this ability to rejuvenate and replenish is going to be compromised. And also you've got to be giving it the building blocks. Mm. And so they actually know that amino acid therapy is actually one of the best things to help with gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And the types of amino acids, okay, are things like glutamate, glutamine, threonine, arginine, cysteine, and methionine. I would say if we need these types of amino acids to actually help with something like gut-associated lymphoid tissue, we're also going to need it for areas like bronchial-associated lymphoid Mm. tissue and nasal-associated lymphoid tissue. So making sure that you're giving the body the building blocks to actually help with the NOLT. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that you have to go out and you have to have, you know, a teaspoon of methionine, a teaspoon of arginine, but, you know, you can get it from better quality sources. So whether that's things like slow cooked meats, bone marrow, bone broth, these types of things. I mean, obviously your animal proteins, red meat are very high in things like arginine, okay, like glutamine. But what I'm saying is if you don't have the building blocks, like how can you really help with the structure of such a key player in your immunity, Mm. which is actually not, which is actually the nasal cavity. Do not underestimate how important that is because it's going to deal with airborne viruses. It is going to, I mean, that's, that's for sure. Okay. Mm. And if that, if that's compromised, you know, once again, I, I, I just think people just think, well, these structures, they just operate. I go, the human body doesn't work like that. It's not, you know, I always say, my saying is, it's not like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, okay? It's not like Oompa Loompas and they're just making an endless supply of, you know, amino acids and they're just giving you all the building blocks that you need for that tissue. You can compromise that tissue. So I would just say like putting a focus and, and something that I've used, I don't know if you've used it. I think you might've played around with it, okay? But you could give something a little bit more direct to the nasal passage. So we talk about BPC-157, so that is a peptide, once again, a bit of a dirty word, but it's just derived from human, you know, <laughs> gastric juices. Yeah, okay. It is such uh, a dirty word. Every time I talk about it with clients, like, the spiel I give is it's a peptide, just like collagen is a peptide. That's the way I try to like make it sound less dirty because we just have this weird association with the word peptide. It's like, no, it's just a protein. It's just a sequence of amino acids. Well, it's just 15 amino acids. Yeah. yeah. Okay? But if you actually look at the research, I mean, it is like, you know, initially I had to research it quite heavily because I was just, you, you do have to sometimes certain peptides. Yes, there could be some, some potential problems there. I'm not taking away from that. Okay. But if you actually read a lot of the research with BPC, it's, it's really all positive. Okay. Mm. Angiogenesis, the formation of new blood vessels. Okay. They've used it with tendons, ligaments, with athletes, okay, yeah. to great success. And so you can actually get BPC as a nasal spray. And from my perspective, that's really going to help with something like NOLT nasal associated mm. lymphoid tissue and you'd also say by spraying it up the nasal passage it's also going to help with things like the blood brain barrier mm. uh, I, look we already know that bpc is actually really good for helping with the blood brain barrier but that's actually talking about just injectable 
Mm. Okay. So I don't know what uh, the documentation is around like nasal BPC actually helping the brain barrier. You think in theory, it's going to have some benefits there. Mm. Mm. Okay. So there's some, what's cool with this is yep. like everything you've just said there to help with all this tissue and our nasal cavity and, and galt and all this stuff. It's the same stuff you would use to help with the gut, isn't it? Like, you know, it's whether we're talking about BPC, we're talking about um, the amino acids, we're talking about, you know, collagen support, we're talking about, um, we didn't mention, but like zinc carnosine, like all these compounds, it's, it's almost like it's a mirrored protocol, you know, like what we're doing initially for the bacterial issues in the nasal cavity, we're doing that for the bacterial issues in the gut. What we're doing to support the tissue in the nasal cavity, we're doing that to support the tissue in the gut. Like it's, it's very much, it's the same compounds. It's, it's, it, it makes it a much more efficient protocol because you're not having to, I'm going to take this for this and this for that. And I'm going to eat this food for this thing. No, no, no. It's all actually working together. The, the good thing about it is we have the option to get a bit more direct. If that is a real yeah. problem, we can get direct on it. Yeah. But let's say it's just not, it's look, it's a bit of a problem. Okay. But you can sort of deal with it. I would say the priority is just going to be like, let's deal with the mothership. Let's yeah. deal directly where the major problems are coming from. And that is going to directly have a positive effect on once again, the bronchial area, the respiratory yep. tract, and it's, it's going to have a positive effect on the nasal cavity as well. But also let's say it, you, you need something that's a little bit more bang for your buck. You can get direct on that area as well. I yep. mean, you know, one thing that, you know, we don't know if you can directly use it as a nasal spray, but we couldn't see why not. But like even something like vitamin C would actually have some huge benefits there. But guess what? Vitamin C has got huge benefits to mm. connective tissue. It actually just helps with the repair of collagen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and actually helps with the synthesis of your white blood cells. So it's actually going to help with that immune system aspect, definitely helping with like lymphocytes. So vitamin C has got benefits to the gut line. Okay. But yeah. you would say also that you potentially might be able to use it as a nasal spray. And that would actually have some huge benefits to the, to the sinus region and the nasal cavity as well. Yeah. 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 So like I'd say from my perspective, 80, 80, 90% of the time, I'm not even going to target the nasal area i'm just going to do the gut stuff and then i'm going to expect that everything else is going to work itself out and usually it will and then in 10 percent of cases that's where we need to you know zero in and provide a little bit more sort of targeted support that we've been talking about yeah for sure i'm not taking away from getting more direct okay and if you need that you know if you need that relief like Yes, 100%. And there, but there are some things like the NAC, the BPC, 157 nasal spray, you know, maybe uh, a nasal grapefruit seed extract. Mm. Okay. Once again, you know, taking a biofilm agent. I like this, just some things that I guess a lot of the time they're not really talking about too often. Yeah. Okay. And they t- tend to talk about like, you know, this uh, nasal irrigation. And, and I would just say that most of the time it's just giving you some relief. Yeah. Probably not really dealing with the bigger problem here. Yep. But I'm not taking away from it in terms of giving you some relief, but I'm not, you know, you're the same JK. I'm not really in the game to just give someone some temporary relief. I'm, yeah. I'm in the game to, to fix the problem. Yeah. Okay? And I would say if we're not really going to address the gut here, probably on and off, you're going to be dealing with like, you know, sinus infections and sinus pain and sinusitis. I mean, I would say if you're not fixing the negative gram bacteria overgrowth and the LPS, okay, you're probably going to be dealing with this, this dull sinus pain behind the eyes and maybe yeah. blocked ears and all that type of stuff like ongoing. And then you're just yeah. using these things just to, as a short-term remedy. I spoke to a client this week about this and, and, you know, he's had some of these symptoms and they've, they've improved a lot, but they're, you know, still present. And he went to finally got in with like an allergy specialist and the specialist gives him a corticosteroid cream of a spray. 
and I'm like, okay, what's what's the what's the expectation there? What's the plan? He goes, oh, I just have to use this feather. How is that? <laughs> That's not a solution. You know, this is like blunting in immune response is not actually solving the problem. Like conventional medicine doesn't have an answer to this. Mm. And then the most common solution, which is from my perspective, not a solution, and actually in my book is creating more of a problem is the, the usage, of, usage of antibiotics. Yeah. Okay. And then you're just creating more resistant bacterial strains. Yeah. So you're actually creating a bigger problem. It's going to be harder to get rid of. Yeah. And already these things are you know, pretty hard to get rid of. Okay. And they're getting a lot harder to get rid of because once again, because of that, that excessive biofilm, because, you know, that's, we, that's a really important point. What you just said there, that these things are hard to get rid of. They take a long time. This biofilm, I think we, we need to mention that is that this doesn't happen overnight. And especially if you've got these infections in other parts of your body, not just in the gut, but nasal cavity or, or on your skin or whatever, these things often take time to change, right? And especially if these have been ongoing infections, there's been ongoing damage and inflammation, don't, don't feel like things aren't working if you know you do a gut protocol and you're like, well, I saw some symptoms, you know, it's half better, but it's still there. I mean, that's that can be normal. Like these tissue, you know, it's like you said, it's 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 tissue, it's connective tissue, it's collagen. You know, this isn't gonna just repair itself overnight. Yeah. yeah. And so it and might take multiple, multiple bouts. It's, it's a great point. And like I, I would say to I would say to people is just like don't lose faith. Yeah. Okay. And be persistent and don't always look for the the short-term solution. Yeah. Because, you know, from my experience where it's sitting for a lot of people is they need multiple gut protocols to yes. really fix the problem. Yes. Okay. And Especially that's not to something say like that, this. Yeah. And that's not to say that not making progress. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the onion analogy. Okay. Yep. Like you, you can't peel back all the layers of the onion at once. Okay. Yep. You're going to peel back a few. You're going to, you're going to go, well, I feel better from this perspective, this perspective, but you know what? My skin's still bad. Okay. Or, once again, that doesn't mean you're not making progress, okay? Yeah. And the more work you do on it, because we just got to look at the stats. When people, you know, get frustrated sometimes, they go, oh my God, it takes a long period of time. I go, well, just look at the stats. When they've actually fit, like, you know, someone just taking one course of antibiotics, it can actually take the gut environment about two years to fully yeah. replenish and rejuvenate from that. That's one course of antibiotics. I'm not talking about you taking NSAIDs, ibuprofen, uh, paracetamol, Panadol, yeah. aspirin, high amounts of chronic stress, bacterial yeah. byproducts. When you start comp compounding all these things, you can see why you have to be patient. Okay? Yeah. You can see why you have to persevere. And, and trust me, the more you persevere, the better things are going to become. Okay, yeah. And actually, they'll be better than they probably were ever before. Yeah, yeah. Probably a good I, place to finish. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's a message that that isn't spoken about enough, and we probably don't speak about it enough. And that, you know, it is like you said, it's a journey. It, it can take multiple cycles. It is, you know, there's multiple layers to it, and each time you're going to get a step better. You're going to get, you know, some symptoms you're going to improve more than others. And you know, like that's what I would normally say with my clients is, you, you know, you get 12 weeks in and see what symptoms improved. And this one, and this one, and this one did, and this one stayed the same, and, and this one's still there. And then, you know, the next protocol, okay, we're going to target those. So don't, like you're saying, don't lose faith. If you do one gut protocol, you do eight weeks of gut repair and you still got some of these symptoms. You know, I've had, I've had clients where, you know, I had one where she had like severe food allergies. I mean, like actual allergies of landing her in hospital for a day at a time. And we do one gut protocol. And then she, she, you know, accidentally had an exposure to some of these, these allergens and her lips swelled, but she didn't end up in hospital. And then, you know, we do another gut protocol and, 
And, you know, she ate the food and there was no issue. And, and you do another gut protocol and, you know, six months later, a year later, it's like, oh, I can actually eat this food. I'm totally fine with it. And, you know, it's getting a little bit better each time, but it takes time. It takes time to heal the gut. It takes time. And like, like I've lived it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's my story. That's why I went down this path because I had my own severe gastrointestinal issues. I speak about this often, you know it really well. And just for people who don't know, I didn't just create one gut protocol and then all my problems just disappeared. <laughs> okay. I had to do four gut protocols and I pretty much did them pretty close together. Mm. Okay. And I did that over a couple of years, but that took me four gut protocols mm. to get my gut back to where I, where I basically said, this is pretty good. Mm. Four gut protocols. Okay. So I just think a lot of the time, like people have got all these issues, you know, mm -hmm. parasitic infection, they've got SIBO, they've got candida and yeast overgrowth, they've got H. pylori. Okay. And this is not out of the realms. I see mm. this. Mm. And then they just think that you do one gut protocol, all these problems are going to disappear. You have no symptoms and everything's going to go back to normal. Mm. A lot of things are going to get better, but mm -hmm. you also, you, you, we have to be re realistic around this as well. And, you know, once again, if it's in a really bad place, you are going to have to do a multitude of gut protocols to get it back to where it should be. Mm. And, and you can get it better beyond where it was. That's yeah. for sure. From my perspective. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. We, we took a bit of a turn there, but I think it was important <laughs> to note. Yeah. It's definitely something that's not spoken about enough. And maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a podcast on second and third gut protocols, you know, like how do you, or even, you know, this is something I talked about with some of my longer term clients is I think actually, some form of a gut protocol should be part of your ongoing life in that we're always exposed to these things. We're always exposed to stress and to, you know, lack of sleep or, or, you know, whatever it might be. And why would we just assume that we do one, like you said, one gut protocol or whatever, and then suddenly what, we're never going to cause any more damage to the gut lining again. Like that's not realistic. We're going through life. There's, we're going to accumulate damage along the way. And we should actually know, well, how do we give it some support? each year or whatever that looks like so maybe we'll talk about and, that more. and 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 even the gut like like a lot of a lot of time when you say to people it might take like two and a half three years for your gut to really get back to where it should be a lot of people just like they go oh my god it's like so long but when you think about it okay in terms of how long you've bombarded it with all these you know whether it's bacterial byproducts okay whether yeah. it is things like herbicides and pesticides okay all these things over such a long period of time you really think about it like two years okay two and a half years I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's actually like the, the, the ability for it to rejuvenate and replenish. Like a lot of people think that's an extremely long time. I look at it and I go, in the scheme of things, it's actually extremely short. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not talking two years to get any resolution. We're saying two years to get to probably a better state than you've ever been before. Exactly. Yeah. It's good. We should leave it there, Dave. Thank you so much, mate. And uh, look forward to our next episode. Thanks. Thanks as always, mate. All right, see you guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.